Welcome to episode 144 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I've been testing and developing my own ideas around relationship building, aka networking, for over a decade. So it may be surprising to learn that I didn't start reading all the great books in this topic until after my own book was published in 2017. I wanted to know what I knew from my own lived experience. Not sure if I'd suggest that to a client, but it made me determined to publish my own work and plant my own flag in this discipline. I'm now going in the entirely opposite direction and hungrily consuming books by authors that share my philosophy. As I mentioned last week, I found my way back to audiobooks, and that has made it possible for me to, quote, read the 400 plus pages of Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. There was so much gold in this book that I knew I wanted to share some of it with you. First, I want to underscore the importance of relationships by sharing three quotes from the book. The only way to get people to do anything is to recognize their importance and thereby make them feel important. Every person's deepest lifelong desire is to be significant and to be recognized. Wherever you are in life right now and whatever you know is a result of the ideas, experiences, and people you have interacted with in your life. Relationships are all there is. Everything in the universe only exists because it is in relationship to everything else. Nothing exists in isolation. We have to stop pretending we are individuals that can go it alone. I hope you remember that last one, especially when you're struggling in your business or career. I also want to underscore the importance of sharing knowledge, what I have been calling the philosophy of abundance. In Keith Ferrazzi's words, By giving your time and expertise and sharing them freely, the pie gets bigger for everyone. It's better to give before you receive and never keep score. If your interactions are ruled by generosity, your rewards will follow suit. Power today comes from sharing information, not withholding it. When you help someone through a health issue, positively impact someone's personal wealth or take a sincere interest in their children, you engender life-bonding loyalty. Until you become as willing to ask for help as you are to give it, however, you are only working half the equation. That last one really hits home for me. Until you become as willing to ask for help as you are to give it, however, you're only working half the equation. Your challenge for this week Put these quotes into practice. Recognize someone's importance. Reflect on who has influenced you becoming the you that you are. Think about all the relationships around you and feel how you are not alone. Make the pie bigger by giving away your time and expertise. Let generosity guide your interactions. Be more powerful by sharing information. 
help someone on a personal level, ask for help. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. I have a special treat for you this week. This will be the first time I've had someone back on the show, and it's for a very good reason. My guest is a people expert who inspires organizations and individuals to build real relationships and get real results. Named one of Forbes' top 25 networking experts, she's the author of several books, including The Connector's Advantage, Seven Mindsets to Grow Your Influence and Impact, which was just released a couple of months ago. For this book, she interviewed over two dozen networking experts, including Marshall Goldsmith, Dory Clark, Ivan Meisner, Susan Rowan, and yours truly. I feel quite fortunate to be mentioned with this esteemed group, many of whom I've interviewed. Connectors think and act a certain way that makes things happen faster, easier, and often with a better result. If you feel like your networking is not translating into results, or everyone else seems to be getting ahead even though you are just as smart, then you'll appreciate the great advice from these connectors. Please join me in welcoming back Michelle Tillis-Lederman. Hey, Ravi. I'm so excited that I'm the first repeat customer. The first repeat customer. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me once again from your office in the north part of New Jersey. Um, This is really exciting. And I have to say that we're actually recording this the day after it actually launched. So it's going to air a couple months from now, but you are in in the thick of it as far as launching and you're doing a bang up job. I hear you've already hit number one new release. You've hit number one in multiple categories. This is fantastic. Your message needs to be heard. I have to say, you do have a little ace in the hole. You interviewed connectors. Yeah, exactly. So we're good at telling people about things and sharing information. So you interviewed us, you said nice things about us, and then uh, we all tagged each other. Over the last few days, I've been tagged in multiple threads, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. It's been so funny because there's multiple conversations going on and and I see different ways that people are, are doing what they do and still learning from them. It's amazing. It is really, it's, it's awful fun. And now I'm thinking all the people that you interview that I have yet to interview in this show, I'm now going to be reaching out to you for, for uh, more introductions. You've been such a resource for this show, uh, connecting us with some fantastic uh, connectors. And, and they're always just so um, willing to share. You know, one of the things that struck me about your book was to talk about how uh, connectors are very abundant. And that really stood out to me because I practice this sort of philosophy of abundance, this idea that, you know, giving away knowledge doesn't deplete you. It just increases opportunities and possibilities. It's one and, of the hardest concepts in the book for people and for me. But, but yes, I love connecting. You just tell me who you want to meet. I'll make it happen. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about, let's, let's back up a little bit. And I want to understand you've written several books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that you actually wove in content from, from your best known book, uh, 11 Laws of Likeability into this so that we don't miss some of those great gems. Tell me, though, what led you to think this is a book that needs to be written and you're the one to write it? This is actually a follow-up to that book, The 11 Laws. And it, you, my brother-in-law kind of said, well, what's the difference? And I said, well, the first book was about relationship networking. It, and networking to me is something that we do, but this is about being a connector. And a connector for me is somebody that you are. Mm. 
And it's really integrating into your philosophy of life and how you interact with others and how you approach business and people. It's a total shift in all of that. It becomes who we are, not just something we do. You know, that mindset shift is is a piece that I think I work with my clients on trying to get them to think about not just the, I guess, initially it feels more like they're just checking a box to, to do the the thing I said was a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, you should make sure you do this kind of follow-up or, or reach out to these people under these circumstances. And don't forget this. And, you know, at first, it's just sort of checking a list. But there's a moment months later when they stop thinking of it that way and they see something and they immediately react and they they find themselves making connections happen, offering resources, making introductions. Like it, It's like a switch that they would never... Like, they write me and they say things like, I've never before read a book, thought, this is amazing. I love this book. And then decided to write to the author. <laughs> but but now I can't help myself. I have to tell the author how amazing it is and and really specifically what I loved about it. And of course, as a content creator, you and I, we understand how wonderful that is to receive. That makes that your kind of day. If anybody's listening to this and you read The Connector's Advantage, uh, feel compelled to reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the be- It's like the nicest so, to have that specific kind of compliment. It's like it's so wonderful. And then that has led to some of my clients like getting. I mean, one of them reached out to Susan Kane, um, asking her, the author of Quiet, asking her to be part of the book that she was writing, and got a yes. You know, so you never know. It's just like so. Part of this is like giving people the mindset shift around being a connector which is a, something you are. I like that, that definition. So tell well, that's me. how this whole book evolved because yeah. I was with one of my mentors and you know, I was telling him about the book and he said, well, you know, you should get a millennial perspective. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he's like, I, could, I know a couple people. So he introduced me. And then I started thinking about, uh, you know, one of them was like, yeah, this isn't a fit for me, but you should meet um, Dara Burstein. And so then it was, have you talked to this person? And then have you talked to that? And it just snowballed because one connector connects you to another connector that connects you to three more connectors. And then I'm like, Oh, wait a minute, but I forgot. I know this person and I know that person and Oh, she should be in it. And I will tell you three different people mentioned your name before I was like, okay, somebody introduced me to this guy. (laughs) Well, actually I kind of remember the story when you, you and I finally actually started talking, you said it wasn't just that three different people. It's that you didn't think they all knew each other. Yeah. And that's the coolest thing about being a connector is that when we think about the connector spectrum, and let's just kind of establish the, the spectrum for people in their mind, because it's not that you're a non-connector or that you're a connector. There is a whole spectrum in between. And I would venture to say that there are very, very, very few people that are actually non-connectors out there. I think we all infuse some of these qualities, but it just might be an emerging part of who we are in the way in which we think. And so at a minimum, we can consider us emerging connectors. Um, as we think about how to... I guess, level up, so to speak, there's two attributes or two levers that we can pull. The first is, are we being um, reactive? Are we being responsive to other people's reach out, to other people's requests, or are we initiating that reach out, initiating those requests? So as we are emerging, we're a little bit more on the responsive side. Um, A responsive connector is somebody who believes in it and is actively trying to start to infuse these things, but they're still in that responsive mode. They haven't quite realized how they add value and they haven't quite uh, gotten that comfort with doing the initiation. So they're still in that responsive mode. Then we move up a little bit more and we're in the acting mode. So we're both 
initiating and responding and we're doing that dance and it's happening, but we haven't pulled the other lever yet, which is the breadth and depth of our connections. So as we start going deep in connections, and what I mean by deep is like it could be a, a geographic region, it could be an industry, it could be a job function, but we know everybody in that whatever it is. And that would make you a niche connector, right? So if you know in your field, like all the meeting planners, because you help them think about how to create an inclusive uh, event. My sister, she knows everybody in real estate law in New Jersey and knows she's not a lawyer, all right? It's your niche. If you really want to get to the top, the epitome, and, and get the greatest advantage, that's a super connector. And that's when you also have a breadth of connections. So I was on a call the other day, a review of the book and wanted to interview me. And I, of course, wanted to know about him because that's what I do. And he told me what he left corporate and what he's working on and what he's trying to build. And I said, oh, do you know so-and-so? <laughs> she happens to be in the UK, having done exactly the same thing, left corporate, trying to build this type of business. And he's like, no, I'm like, oh, well, let me put you guys together. And that's what a super connector can do. Actually, that's a global super connector because you can go beyond your country's borders and add value in so many different ways. I, I have to say having a scale like that is wonderful because it gives people a place to understand a snapshot of where they are today and also in the book, and you really do great illustrations, great storytelling um, to give people a sense of like, well, how do they pull those levers and think of themselves if they wanted to kind of stretch themselves a little further. And I, I was defining my wish around being a connector. Like a couple of years ago, I said something like, I want to get to a point where if someone says, do you know <laughs> a farmer in Iowa? I would say, <laughs> one second. <laughs> and I, had, I actually had this experience just happen. So as you and I are recording this, um, I have been uh, trying to get published in Harvard Business Review. And I have had some success moving that forward with editors. And one of the things that happened was HBR Ascend, which is focused on young professionals, um, 40 some odd percent of their market is actually India, but they have, um, it's mostly outside of the US. It's a small slivers US. It's mostly uh, in Asia, uh, in the Philippines, that kind of thing. So when I got this offer to then write for them as well, uh, in their content guidelines, it says like, kind of make it relevant, you know, <laughs> to people in India. <laughs> and it's writing about networking. And like, that's mm. something that's very culture based. So I thought, well, I want to make sure I do this right. I want to be US centric. So I posted on my Facebook, I searched Facebook to see who I knew in India. I found like 20 people who either live there now, used to live there or do business there fairly frequently. And got I don't know, six or seven mm -hmm. conversations in a week and a half. And then by the time I got on the call with the editors from India, they then were like, okay, can you also do one for networking in business schools? <laughs> like, like, so now, and now I, one of the uh, people that I talked to who's actually in the UK, um, Andy Lapata, he then said, oh, I know somebody who's doing a virtual summit and they're based in India. And why didn't now you I'm call me? Because I'm sitting there going, I already have right. reviews on Amazon India for the book because I spoke at an international conference. And so, you know, somebody sent me their, I'm like, where is this? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's on the India side. <laughs> right, you have to go looking for it, yeah. Well, it makes sense, they are 10 and a half hours ahead of us, so they're, <laughs> they're, they're quicker to reading it. <laughs> but I mean, it's just like, that kind of thing is possible. Like I never really sat and thought, gee, do I have like the 
that diversity in my network. But when you start to look for it, it's there. And that's and it's, the idea. It comes the event, that's the idea. And Faster, I, easier, better. Even if you don't know the farmer in Iowa or the person uh, from a business school in this country or that country, um, it's the idea that there's at least a half a dozen people you can call that probably does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is the advantage. What do you think stops people from exploring this for themselves? Like, who might who might pick this book up and then think, you know, I really, I still, so, I mean, maybe I'm like emerging, but I can't, makes me nervous. Like, what's the stuff that gets in the way of people exploring this for themselves, even though you're saying it's My got an advantage? My dad says I'm not allowed to use the word can't. <laughs> uh, anybody can. And that's really the biggest message of the book is that anyone can infuse these mindsets and these behaviors into their interactions and reap the same advantage. Okay, so first of all, anyone can. Now, the question is, do they want to or do they feel comfortable? Those are different things. So um, not everybody needs to be a global super connector. Not everybody needs to be a super connector at all. If you're an acting connector and it's working, you know, that could be enough. It, you know, I don't want everyone to think they have to get all the way to the top because that can, can be off-putting and it makes people not want to try. One of the things I put in the book are mindset missions so that we can start to think about how to take it from in, you know, in our heads and in the theory to in practice. And if you read the book and, it's, and you're thinking, I, I get it, I want it, but then just pick one. Just pick one thing to start working on until it becomes second nature, until it becomes comfortable, and then you can pick something else. That's how we grow. It's not thinking about the end game. It's thinking about the progress. I like it. I'm looking at your table of contents right now, and you have this whole piece in here actually about how a connector thinks and acts, the seven mindsets of a connector. And I'm just going to read them. And I'd like you to just like pick one or two and share sort of why you think that's an attribute and how it serves them. So he says, connectors are open and accepting. Connectors have clear vision. Connectors believe in abundance. Connectors trust. Connectors are social and curious. Connectors are conscientious and connectors have a generous spirit. And I have to say, I, I am sitting here thinking, and well, yeah, of course they are. All those things. <laughs> I, I, I resemble that remark. But tell me, <laughs> how did you happen upon these seven and like kind of what, so what, what was your process? I mean, like this is a, you know, when you see it kind of thing is how I think of mm-hmm. connectors, but you're studying it. So I want to know how you quantified it as opposed to the fact that, you know, I just pulled it out of the air, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like how did you do that? About two years ago, I actually put a survey out and I worked with a a university um, with validated questions around certain attributes. And I, I went in with a theory. I went in with a theory of certain attributes that I thought uh, represented a connector's mindset. And then I tested the theory and it was really quite interesting. So uh, I had, I don't know, seven, 800 or so responders. And in the first pass, I would say 90 plus percent of them classified themselves as a connector. And so I actually started sending it out to um, bloggers that were focused on the introvert market and um, had an introverted following to see if we can get a little bit more balanced of results. And so we ended up with about 20% of people who kind of classified themselves as non-connectors, which at this point we realize probably isn't true, but they're just being a little hard on themselves. And what we found was that there were some areas, and I talk about the research throughout the book, there were some areas that were so distinctive um, about the satisfaction that a connector gets from making that connection. Um, it, you know, there was ideas around locus of control, 
that connectors believe that they control their own destiny, things like that. But what we found a lot of times was that the uh, the differential wasn't statistically significant. I can never say that without <laughs> stumbling on my words. Uh, and and what that really started to tell me was that okay, great. You don't have to be wired a certain way to do this. And some of the best connectors that I found and some that I interviewed for this book are introverts. So it isn't that we have to look or think a certain way. That social and curious one isn't about social butterfly and life of the party, right? It's just about being there. So that's where some of the research behind it came. And we narrowed, I probably had a lot more attributes and mindsets um, and kind of really honed in on the ones that I was really seeing um, represent. Yeah. So, and and you ended up interviewing um, for this book over a dozen, how many people? Oh, I think we got over two dozen. I think we're close to 30. Wow. So yeah. two and a half dozen. That's amazing. I, I and, have and, to start counting names in the acknowledgements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard. You, you're like, did I tag everyone? And when I posted it <laughs> no, <laughs> and <I'm>... many more. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if I forgot you, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes so, there's people I talk to that that might not have made their content in the book, but they connected me to somebody else as well. Mm-hmm. So it was just a fascinating process. But so one of the things you asked me to do was kind of think about these, these seven mindsets. Mm-hmm. And the one that you already brought up is one that I think uh, is, is a challenge for people and can really resonate. And that was the mindset of abundance. And I think that is a um, fundamental mindset that enables the other mindsets without having and coming from that place of abundance, it's hard to trust. It's, it's hard to um, have a generous spirit, right? And sometimes it's hard to be open and accepting of others as well as ourselves. So I think it's one of those really enabling uh, mindsets. And I, I don't want people to misunderstand when I talk about coming from a place of abundance. It is not about everything's wonderful and everything's going to be great. That's not realistic. I don't live in that world. My glasses are not rose colored. Uh, they're, they're getting bigger because I can't see anything without them anymore. <laughs> but they're not rose colored. Coming from a place of abundance is not um, pretending that it wasn't difficult. Like I had a tough upbringing. Um, I, when I started my career in finance in the early 90s, there was only one female partner. We weren't allowed to wear pants. Um, there were so many restrictions around women in the workplace in a, in a male-dominated field. And women were very, very competitive with each other, not supportive at all. And you can come from a place of scarcity of being like, well, another woman, I can't help them because then I'm hurting me. That's scarcity. That's, that puts us in a defensive and a protective mindset. I don't want to introduce you to somebody because then you'll get them as a client or you'll get them as a guest or you, and then I'm not special. One of the ways to think about coming from a place of abundance is not to compare yourself against others um, and to understand what you bring to the table. What's your, um, what's your special sauce? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we talked about this, and, and this is in a different section of the book, but I like how you put it, is, is um, embrace the unicorn within, right? <laughs> <laughs> that unicorn, that's your special sauce. And so when we come from a place of abundance, it's not that um, everything's great. It's that we believe the possibility that it can be better. Mm. I, I like that possibility that it can be better. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I've um, I, I didn't always have an abundance mindset. Me, and, <laughs> you know. And you wrote a little bit about your upbringing and um, uh, you know, single parent raising a couple of kids. Like you, 
you you were didn't come from like a silver spoon background, you know. So yeah. <laughs> and um and I think that as I've practiced living this way, it becomes easier. But I actually have a mantra that I wrote. It's actually it's taped to my computer. Um, I wrote it in a workshop six seven years ago, and it says, "I have enough. I am enough. I choose to live with abundance." Oh, I love that. Yeah, I have enough. I am enough. I choose to live with abundance. And and I tell you now, when I'm around someone who has that scarcity mindset, or even just slips into the scarcity way of thinking, not not even mindset, but like they sort of say it a thing that's a little scarcity mindset driven, and I'm always like, <gasps> like I'm like. Don't want to get no pulled. Way. Into it. Yeah, <laughs> don't affect me. Can we reframe that? And they're like, "Oh yeah, you're right." You know, it's like it's really important. Okay, so I love your response to that because here's the thing: we can't beat ourselves up. We all are going to have moments of that thought, that thinking pattern coming into our heads, myself included. It is that reframing. It is that that okay. I'm putting that aside, and, and this is how I'm choosing to move forward in thinking that is the shift. So mm-hmm. it's not that we never think those things. It's that we know how to reframe them and to gain perspective with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's one of your favorite stories that you got to include in the book? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, your favorite child. No I'm kidding. <laughs> it, you know, I, I was saying, I kept talking about a final push, a final push. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, this really is like childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, the, there are so many, um, I, I think of it more as tips, um, you know, from, from my different experts. And, and I was told so many stories and sometimes I'm not sure, like, for example, you, you shared with me about, um, you know, some of the stories about the first day at camp or the first day at school. And, and those stories didn't make it into the book, but yet they resonated with me and they probably had influenced some mm. of the, the work. Um, so it's hard for me to pick out a story, but, um, there's definitely a lot of tips that, that stick with me. And I, I think of some of uh, Dory Clark's tips around um, a lot of, you know, you said, why do people not do this? What's the holdup? What's, what's keeping them back? And the first thought that came to my mind is there's just not enough time for all this stuff. And that's why I love Dory's tips. And, um, and one of the things I talk about is finding underutilized time. Mm. So Dory has kind of like these steps of, well, did you do this first? And I'm going to send them here first. And so she um, creates efficiencies. And I love her Dory dinners. Uh, have we been at a Dory dinner together? We're going to have to. No, no we haven't done one together. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's the idea that we invite a lot of people that you want to connect with to the same place so that they can connect with each other and that you can connect. And now you've connected with 20 people all in the same hour rather than 20 hours with each person. And so it creates efficiencies. I talk about underutilized time. I talk about the idea that there are times of the day um, and in what you do that, you know, it's kind of like not, not all, all there. Um, commuting time. If I'm in a car, great time to get on a phone. If I'm on a train, I can be catching up on emails and instant message or whatever it might be um, and doing those touch bases. Four o'clock on a Friday is the least productive hour of the work week great time to just chat with somebody. Uh, Post-lunch, we're in food coma. Another time for those those touches. Um, Just having lunch with somebody. I always say, think about the things that you're doing anyway and invite somebody to do them with you. I've had business meetings. I'm taking walks. I've had business meetings um, at the dog park. I've had business meetings at the gym. (laughs) 
And of course, over meals. So, you know, they're fun and you connect because especially when you're at the dog park or walking dogs with somebody or at the gym, you have a common interest. And when you find those commonalities, those me too, you too moments, then it's very easy to find those forms of connection and strengthen and put those roots in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Having having more than one thing in common. I like to also look for the uncommon commonalities, like the things that may not be on their uh, LinkedIn page, but you somehow come across it. You know, maybe it's where they went to school um, or what they what their thesis was on, and you're mm-hmm. like, "What?" Like 20 years ago, I was into that too. Uh, it's really fun to to discover those things, and then there's another reason to talk and continue to to have that conversation, which I think falls onto the being curious part, like wanting to learn about people. There's an element of, of thinking that it's worthwhile to learn about people that, you know, I think one of the things that I think might get misunderstood about, um, I guess, networking in general is that so many people come to this idea of networking as a transaction in a what's in it for me. And because they're thinking that, they assume everyone else is thinking that, which makes them guarded against people who are showing interest and being curious. And so, how do you help people sort of shift that framework in their head from like, you know, oh, networking is like dirty. I mean, there's a whole study, right? Like Northwestern and Harvard did that study about people actually do like feel yes. <laughs> dirty. They talking. want to wash their hands. I saw wanna, that. was such a good study. <laughs> I love when people can find ways to like quantify what we all feel. But the people in that study who didn't feel that way were the senior executives who come to those events um, ready to offer. You know, they come ready to share resources or make introductions. Um, they can hire people. Like they're not coming with a need so much as to share. And I think that's the difference. And I think that goes to the mindset of a clear vision. Uh, and a, a connector knows what they want and they know how to ask for it and they're willing to ask for it. But at the same time, they're comfortable asking for it because this is my my entire mission is to shift this mindset from from yuck to yum. Uh, <laughs> it, like don't don't yuck up my yum. Uh, the idea that if you are out there and you are with a generous mindset and you are there um, with an open mind and an open heart, then people are like, is this for real? But if you stay there, they'll start to be like, oh. And then they begin to trust, right? And then they're starting to make those those strides into that, oh, well, I can be that way too. And the more people who are this way, the more people will realize it's okay to be this way. Not only is it okay to be this way, it is hugely advantageous, (laughs) the book title, to be this way. (laughs) Pun intended. So uh, I think part of it is um, that connecting is exponential. And when you have this mindset and when you were going into interactions and you know that you are willing, it gives you that permission and that comfort to also be asking. Mm. It's true. Uh, When I work with my clients, I I have this um, coaching program. It's a mixture of master classes, masterminds, and one-on-one coaching and small cohorts of four entrepreneurial women. We just did a session on relationships and they were talking at length about this angst they have about asking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my background's fundraising. And, so, <laughs> you know, if I'm like, you know, if I could ask people for money, I can ask them for a favor. You know, it's like, it's a lot easier. But I, I was reminding them of how good it feels to help other people. 
And that if you're not willing to ask for the help you need from the people who would be willing to do it, you're denying them happiness. And they're like, what? And I was like, think about it. And they're like, wow. (laughs) I totally talk about that. So one of the things I do in the chapter on clear vision is I talk about and teach how do you make an ask without putting the relationship at risk? Oh, I love this section. You actually gave good scripts. I think this is the thing people, they overstep. And you're like, yeah, don't do that. Do it like this instead. I I believe you have to ask. If you don't ask, the answer is no. If you ask, you immediately increase your odds. So ask, ask, ask. But ask in a way um, that isn't off-putting and isn't over the top and isn't in the first five minutes of meeting somebody and all those things. Uh, You know, and actually I've had somebody who asked me for something in the first five minutes and I'm still connected to her. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, And here's what I would say. When you put an ask out there. Um, I love what you said. And it's, it's something I talk about all the time is you are um, giving somebody the opportunity to feel valuable and to feel valued and to not feel indebted, right? Because you are so comfortable giving, giving, giving. And then uh, I had, I had one connector that um, <laughs> I was on his show recently and he said, his friend said, no, you're done until you let let me help you. You're done. <laughs> you know? um, because it didn't feel good for them to always be in that position of take. Mm. Well, I want to make sure we, you know, you included a section where you quoted me. Yeah. I feel very fortunate. This is such a, it's, it's so, it's so nice to be asked to contribute things like this. Cause then it got, gave me such an opportunity to meet other people who share my my attributes, <laughs> my vision of the world is how I would think about it. But I think you told me that when you were first writing this book, it wasn't a section that you had mapped out. Is that right? It, it wasn't. And it was in my conversation with you that it actually evolved. And there was a um, another woman who's in the same section with you. And it was a really cool because I had a conversation with her and I had a conversation with you and she is a black female executive in technology. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, like let's click every minority box there could be, right? In a male-dominated field, a, a female, you know. Um, so it was just so fascinating to get these different perspectives. And you know, I grew up in a male-dominated industry as well as a female, and um, it, it really—I just in today's day and age, um, it just felt so timely. And so necessary. And so I'm very grateful to you for inspiring the section on um, how to be an inclusive connector. Mm -hmm. And I actually changed the entire ending of the book to focus on expanding and diversifying your connections. And there's something that I need to tell you that I have been telling people that you said that stuck with me. And I don't know if it made it into the book, but it made it into my psyche. You said that when you go to a conference, when you go to an event, you look for the person who seems the most maybe out of place or in need of connection, and you go up and introduce yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I have started to kind of remember that when I'm in these rooms and and just wanting to infuse that into my own outreach. Well, you know, part is because I I have a host mindset, even if I'm new to the space mm-hmm. because so quickly I will meet pe- I will meet enough people in the first 30 minutes to not feel like I'll get stuck in, in a conversation. Like usually when you're new to a space, you go and talk to the wallflower because they're easy to approach. 
they don't know anyone, you don't know anyone. So it's kind of an awkward ending. <laughs> you know, it's one of those like, oh, it was really nice to meet you. Um, Got to go to use the bathroom. And they're like, oh, nice to meet you. I think I'll follow you. You know, it's like, <laughs> to the oops, I was trying to like slip away. But, um, but I pretty quickly meet a few people and I try to always have that host mindset. And so I, I do, I look for uh, particularly demographic outliers. So, you know, if I'm a room full of almost all white people and there's like, you know, two black people in the room, like I will make sure to go over and have a conversation. Um, you know, if it's also physical outliers, like, you know, the people who are, again, standing off to the side of the room, the wallflower type uh, person, I will, again, try to, particularly if I'm a regular at a space and I know people, um, this is what I'm trying to coach other people to doing is, is having that host mindset. But well, I think it's hard to let go of it, right? Like once you have it in your head. I mean, that's one of the sections we talk about in the book uh, where we say to be an inclusive connector, that host mindset makes you comfortable because I always say position yourself. If you can't get a job in the space, just position yourself in the space as that host, as that person who's giving directions, who's giving guidance, who's introducing other people, even if you're not in the conversation and you become that, that um, comfortable go-to safe figure. And then people come and talk to you and make it really, really easy. Uh, And this is a great trick for introverts as well, but that host mindset that gives you a job makes it uh, very comfortable to do that type of outreach. So I love that. Yeah, it's great. And you're right about introverts. Uh, I have never been accused of being an introvert or Maybe shy <laughs> or wallflower. <laughs> um, but I will say that the concepts that I've learned was from doing uh, running meetup groups. And the majority of our regulars um, in the first year or so were introverts and or shy, which are different scales. And they were appreciating the space we were creating. And when I asked them to help, you know, co-create it and show up early and all these things, they were like, happy to do all those things. But when I said, okay, and then kind of like, you know, work the room and mingle. And they were like, uh, no, I don't do that. But that's when this coaching and the, my talk, Art of the Schmooze, really came from that. Once they had that, they then had a role and they were able to be present and their retention actually increased. Their own desire to come to the events like skyrocketed because they had a job to do. And it just, it just, you know, it helped them be more present. So I, I think it's a fa- fascinating leadership quality mm-hmm. um, to, so anyone listening could train their board, their volunteers, et cetera. I always talk about uh, come early, stay late, especially for the introverts, because when you come early, uh, you are in a room where it's not overwhelming and there's not so many people. Everybody's looking for somebody to talk to. And then you have people that look familiar throughout the rest of the night as touch points. So you now feel like you know more people than you might really know in that space. So that the coming early allows that. It also allows you to be put in that position of assistance, right? Can I tell people where the coat room is or the bathroom is or um, letting them know where the bar is because everybody wants to know where the bar is? So that, that positioning of yourself or, or even volunteering for a specific role that is a little bit more um, structured. And then the stay late also works because people are less frenzied at the end. They're calmer. They talk to their people. They're now more relaxed. They've had a little practice in these conversations. And so everybody's a little bit more at ease. I think what's so hard is that for someone who's an introvert hearing this idea of come early, stay late, they're like, can I just go for an hour? <laughs> yes. <laughs> energy wise. Yeah. And I say, you know, if you are going to come early and stay late, you don't have to do both. You can do either come early or you can just stay late. Right. Um, but if you do both, I always say, take a break. 
Because mm-hmm. if your energy is not in a good place, it's not going to last the whole night. Then yeah. Go, go hide out in the bathroom with your phone, go outside and get a breath of fresh air, go pretend that you're really busy talking to somebody for a minute. So you're left alone, whatever it is you need to do to give yourself that time to re-energize so you can bring back that right energy and Mm -hmm. continue to connect. So a piece of this is about knowing why you're going. And you said that this is where connectors have that clear vision. They understand like what they're seeking from a space. I think that's another thing people can get sort of from a room is like knowing why they're going. I think too many of us just sort of show up. Well, let me clarify a little bit because what I mean by clear vision is having uh, a sense of what you're working on, what your goals are, right? So I'm very clear on what my goals are right now. It's, It's getting this book out there. It's helping people understand the advantage and shifting those mindsets, right? So, you know, making this book a bestseller, that's, there's a really clear vision. Okay. Now, why I'm going, uh, last week I went to an event with Sherm. Now, why I was going to that specific event, I didn't necessarily have an outcome in mind. I do believe in sometimes showing up to a space and being open, right? That's one of the mindsets to the possibilities of conversations. Now, I will tell you, I went to this event and within the first 30 minutes, I was dying to leave, right? I was, I, I was tired. I had been running myself into the ground with the launch and I was like, why am I here? Right. Uh, And I just said, let me just stay a little bit longer. And then I talked, and then I talked to somebody who recognized me from speaking at their chapter like five years ago. And that kind of brought me a little energy. And then I saw somebody else who I recognized from speaking at their chapter like three years ago. And that brought me a little energy. And then they wanted to introduce me to so-and-so. And then somebody said this and so, and I was so glad I went and so glad I didn't give up on it. And so sometimes it's, and yes, I was invited to then speak back at those chapters. At least I think three or four of the chapters invited me back from, from attending. And maybe I did have that idea to reconnect with Sherman, maybe speak at chapters in the back of my mind, but it wasn't like I'm going here with this mission because sometimes what that prevents is just staying open to the possibility and to the connection. Well, this is a great uh, segue to just having people learn more about the book and, and where it comes from. I just want to name drop a little bit because I, I'm looking at some of the people you interviewed. And uh, so Chad Littlefield, I'm going to put links to all the interviews. I know we interviewed him, Denise uh, Brousseau, Dara Brustein, uh, Dory Clark, of course, John Corcoran, Jordan Harbinger, um, Michael Lee Stollard. Ivan, uh, Ivan you had? Yeah, Ivan Meisner, Susan Rowan. Uh, I think we did Sarah Granger. Like, um, that's just from the expert did website. Did I connect you to Sarah? Yeah, I think you did. Yay. I was like, that's so familiar. So um, <laughs> there's so many people that um, that you invited into this uh, project that are fascinating. Uh, you know, you can go down so many rabbit holes <laughs> with their content and learn more and more and more about this topic. Um, so like John Rulin, I have not uh, gotten a chance to meet, but Giftology has come up in conversations with other people that I've talked to. So I know that that's a really great resource. Um, so I love just looking at the end of your book. You've got all these great resources. Um, so happy that I wrote a book myself to be included in your book section. <laughs> you are in my resource list. I love it. I love it. So, um, so tell people sort of how they can find you and, and follow this book and sort of what are the resources that you have around this project? Perfect. Well, um, they can go to connectorsadvantage.com and they can learn about the book. I actually have a BOGO, which is buy one, gift one, uh, as a way to think about reaching out to somebody um, with a gift. 
Uh, and there's also bonuses with that. So if you do that, I think you get the training with Jordan Harbinger on the four personality archetypes. Um, I have um, chapters from a bunch of books and discounts and lots of stuff if you do that. And then um, I have a video series that I give if you're doing bulk orders. If you want to just connect with me, which I would love, because as you said, you know, when somebody reaches out to the author and they like, you read the book, yay! Um, <laughs> You can just go to my website, which is Michelle with two L's, Tillis, T-I-L-L-I-S, Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. And from there, I have resources on my YouTube channel. I do success shorty videos. Um, and Robbie has met me in person. I am four foot ten. There is a play on words there, but they're also really short videos. Um, I have a blog. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect. Fantastic. We will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Michelle, thanks for coming back. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for having me back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michelle. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her new book. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 144. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. In particular, I want to point out that I've included a link to all of Michelle's books and encourage you to get a copy of her latest book, The Connector's Advantage. If the quotes from Never Eat Alone caught your attention at the beginning of this episode, you will get a lot of insight from Michelle on how to cultivate your emerging connector identity. If you enjoy this episode with Michelle, please Share it with friends, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on the way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.